15. Meanwhile, take your Bibles and turn. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Take your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. By way of introduction, we're going to read one verse, and then we will get into the message. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together under the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that our eyes would be opened. Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts to understand. We need your wisdom. We've learned much on Sunday nights about the Holy Spirit. I pray the Holy Spirit would be stirring the waters in our lives as it were even now. Lord, help us to grasp truth. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Now, I want to remind you of something. As we have gone through uh, on Joshua, we did remind ourselves of this. In Romans 15, 4, the Apostle Paul wrote, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. In other words, we can look at the Old Testament and we can see our God working. We can see his character. We can understand his promise. We can recognize his call, but also his care. That is something we need to grasp this morning. In 1 Corinthians 10, the apostle Paul did it with the church at Corinth. Now, all these things happened unto them for in samples. Remember, I specifically used this verse, and they are written for our admonition. Why? Upon whom the ends of the world are come. It's God's plan. History is his story. It's a joy to see a group of people come together with one common purpose, giving their time and effort for a common goal that glorifies God. But here's the challenge. It is easy to drift. I've used this illustration before. Can't remember who gave it to me, but it was really interesting. Here's a business and they've gone out of business, and they've got a sign. Going out of business, forgot what our business was. Lord, help us if we forget what our business is. Now, when I started teaching in Christian school, it was really kind of interesting. I figured I'm going to be going in, and my favorite thing to, to teach is going to be Bible. Now, I love teaching it. But for that, for those first couple of years, what I found was actually my favorite subject to teach was world history. History just fascinates me. I don't know how many of you are interested in that, but we learn so much about the future when we look to the past. 
when it comes to people, when it comes to their character, their idiosyncrasies, you name it. It's amazing to look at history. I'm going to give you a little bit of history that'll help us in coming to Nehemiah 4, 6. So here we go. In 605 BC, Babylon's King Nebuchadnezzar, you've read your Bible, you know this story, invaded Judah for the first of three key invasions. He took the people captive, and it was at that time we know it's regarded as the Babylonian captivity. Go ahead to 586 B.C. The temple was destroyed. The vessels of the temple were carried off again to Babylon. The fall of Jerusalem, in fact, as we read, and I'm reading that in my devotions right now, the fall of Jerusalem is a fascinating time to read. It helps us understand Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. The temple and the walls of Jerusalem were in ruins during the captivity, 70 years. In fact, Psalm 137, we won't go to it right now, but Psalm 137 was written during that time for that purpose. There was a time, during this time, more and more Jews became slaves. It was sad. In 539 B.C., Babylon, the nation that carried Judah off, remember Israel, the 10 northern tribes had been carried off by Assyria years before. In 539, Babylon fell to Cyrus of Persia. Cyrus was known as being gentle and humane with the people that he conquered, which kind of opens a window to why he did what he did with the Jews. The Persian Empire was composed of the large kingdom of Persia under Cyrus and the smaller kingdom of the Medes under King Darius. Cyrus was concerned for the welfare of the Jewish people. Now, keep hang in there with me on this. This is all necessary. He wasn't a believer, but he was used of God. And we even today in America, we understand this, that they don't necessarily, politicians don't necessarily need to be a believer to understand the need for freedom and the need for people who have a biblical worldview. God stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. If you've read your Bible, again, you know this from Nehemiah and Ezra. In fact, Isaiah prophesied and called Cyrus by name 150 years before. Isaiah 44, 28, that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Guess what Cyrus did 150 years later? So, in short, the Jews went back to Jerusalem under the leadership of three men as people like Cyrus were opening the doors. 
Group one was under Zerubbabel. Now remember, earlier this year, I preached about Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was a descendant of David. If they had not been carried off, Zerubbabel would have been on the throne. Instead, he came back and he was, I mean, he was in there with shirt sleeves rolled up. He was working with the rest of them, but praise God, a godly man. Group two, 80 years later in 458 BC, they came under Ezra. Group three, 13 years later than that, under Nehemiah, 445, 444 BC. Now, let's switch over to the temple. The temple was completed around 516 BC. After 16 years, there was time wasted. There was resistance that the enemy was bringing. That was 538. The people quit. And then people like Haggai and Zechariah came along and said, hey, what in the world is going on? That was about 520. So they preached to them. And so finally, four years later, the temple was completed. However, even though the temple was completed, the walls were not. And you needed walls and gates where the paths came through. You needed that for security. The walls weren't there. People weren't going to live in Jerusalem. So the Jews refused to go back to Jerusalem. So in 486 BC, Xerxes, otherwise known as Ahasuerus, took the throne. He is the one whose wife, Vashti, turned against him, and he deposed of her, and here came Esther. He chose Esther to be queen about 479. Having part in killing his father, his son Artaxerxes I ruled from 465 to 424. Esther was still alive according to history and he allowed Esther to beautify the temple but did not let her do anything when it came to the walls, at least at that time. But there was somebody else, and his name was Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the cupbearer. He finally came to Jerusalem in the 20th year of Artaxerxes. Now, you have your Bible open to Nehemiah chapter 4. Could you please go back to Nehemiah chapter 1? Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah heard from his brother. Well, it might be a brother, it might be a close friend, Hanani, and Hakaliah. And he heard from them. This is the situation. The remnant are left in verse 3, uh, are in great affliction. Number two, the wall of Jerusalem also still, it's broken down. The gates are burned with fire. Look at verse four. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept. Now, 
He hadn't been there, but that was his homeland. And he was brokenhearted about it. So in chapter two, Nehemiah prayed, Lord, please, we've got to do something. You've got to help. Four months later, look at, verse, look at chapter two. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto him. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Why? If you're sad before the king and you ruin his day, he ruins yours permanently, permanently. But apparently God had so given a, a relationship between Nehemiah and Artaxerxes. Look at verse two. Wherefore the king said unto me, why is thy countenance sad seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. You're not supposed to have that before the king then I was very sore afraid and said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers lieth waste and the gates are consumed with fire? And the king said, that's it, you're done, get out of here. That's not what happened. God stepped in. Then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make a make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. The rest of chapter two speaks of, hey, I went to the city. I got what I needed. Meanwhile, there's these, the, the, these crazy people named Sanballat and Tobiah. They don't want anything good to happen for the Jews. And next thing I know, I'm facing an enemy. He comes in, he spies out the land, and he recognizes what's needed. He speaks to the Jews that are there, specifically those who are in leadership. And then in verse 18, this happened. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. Everything that had taken place in the palace, everything that was necessary to open the doors, my, the, the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's word that he had spoken unto me. And they said, I love these words. Let us rise up and build. You know something? God's at work. Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. You know something, folks? One of the things that Satan tries to get us to believe that God isn't doing anything. And I was, I, I was having my devotion. I was reading the you know, scripture yesterday, and, and I posted this on Facebook because I thought, you know, so we, we, we wind up floating down this river, and it's like, wait a minute, you know, back it up. That is not the case. And so I put a scripture, and I said, listen, you don't have to beg God to act like God. Do you hear me? You don't have to beg God to act like God. If you read the scripture, quit, quit reading verses just to get the job done. Stop, back up, read the passage. If there's a promise, understand this. God is going to do what he says he will do. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. 
You know what that means? He will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You don't have to beg him, Lord, please stick around. You know, the things are falling apart. Oh, man, we're in. No, I praise God for what I heard from Jennifer Ruth. There are people that are believing the God of heaven in places of power, including in this capital right here. Are there people that are wicked as the day is long? Oh, my soul, you bet. Does God still rule over all? Somebody give me an amen. So let's recognize this. Nehemiah comes in and says, look, I see you've gotten discouraged. I understand what's taking place. You know, there's so much that needs to be done. But let me tell you, I came from the palace. The king did not take my head off. He sent me here and said, whatever you need, you've got it. And they went, oh, you know something? And this, this, I mean, this speaks to the character of the people. You know something? Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hand for this good work. By the way, is the gospel a good work? Can we sometimes kind of steer off of it? You'll see what I mean. But we wind up, we, we wind up getting our eyes off the prize, as it were. Let's keep going. In chapter 3, we observe the role of different people, different men, different families on what they did. They're working on this gate and this part of the wall and this gate and that gate. And basically, chapter 3 is all about that. You know, the, here's, here's the people, they're working on this part and this part and this part. It was fascinating to see some of that when we were in Israel. You're seeing places that were built by Nehemiah at that time. And it's like, wow, you talk about a testimony of the grace of God. Now, chapter 4. In chapter 4, the enemy arches its back and says, we don't want this to happen. Look, we've got to understand this. The more we seek to do for God, the more the wicked one is going to get angry and the more he will resist. We have got to start thinking like Christians. That's what's called a dramatic pause. I'm trying to get your attention. We've got to start thinking like Christians. We know who the enemy is. We know who he is. And we know that our enemy is doing everything he can to help resist what the king of kings is seeking to get done. He is vicious. He is vile. I mean, look at what he did. He took, he had people take that which signifies the promise of God and made it something Proud of sin. No. No. I thought it was interesting that there were people that got angry at Ken Ham there at the ark. They lit it up in the colors of the rainbow because the rainbow belongs to God. But they got upset. You can't use that. Oh, really? 
Tell that to God the next time you see a rainbow in the sky. Look at verse 1, Nehemiah 4. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. Look, that's what's going to happen. Jennifer Ruth, when she got on Fox News, the wicked one started hating her and she was maligned and she was attacked. I mean, how dare this woman of color? She's talking like, well, you, you know, like those Christians. Ain't that, ain't that good, Vivian? You know? Right. She's pro-life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So is God. They mocked. Look at verse 2. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? In other words, pick out anything you can of something that you can mock when it comes to biblical Christianity and just keep hacking away at it. And pretty soon, you'll have Christians going, what's the use? Now, you know that's true because you've done the same thing because you're made out of the same stuff I am, and I know exactly what that is. And so you back off. You shut down. You do it silent. You do something. You, know, you, 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 you don't want to get involved in something where there's a big to-do. Verse 3. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. I love these guys. You know, they're just really making major strong points. Hear, O our God, for we are despised and turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity and cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Now, I know what's going on in the auditorium right now. I'm just now starting the message and you're looking at your watches. Will you please give me 15 to 20 minutes? Okay, are we good? All right, I want you to look at that verse six. After we've read all that, all the history, all the, all the talk about Artaxerxes, all of this, it comes to this. So built we the wall, and the wall was joined together under the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. That verse breaks down into three simple sections, and we can learn from it. Looking at this, we recognize this. Number one, there was purpose. So built we the wall. So built we the wall. Ask yourself about what we have today. The Great Commission, the local church, the prayer closet, the commands of Christ. Hey, Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Boy, you talk about a purpose. We're the ones that are carrying that message. 
You know, I shared at the very beginning of this year what I go through constantly. When I have my devotions, I'll, I'll go through the majority, the vast majority of times I go through, and if I don't hit every verse, I hit most of them. I want to remind myself of my purpose. Acts 6.4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's a preacher. Why? Because John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Why? Because Revelation 20.15, whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So Philippians 1.6, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. Lord, keep doing that work in my life. Why? How do I do it? Hey, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Romans 8, 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen? That's good stuff. Listen, for 65 years, this church has had a God-given purpose. If we don't grasp that, the Lord might as well shut it down. What we're simply talking about is this. We know how people go to heaven. You know, didn't you love Brother Reyes getting in tears because of the time that he trusted Christ? It was so hard to talk to this lady yesterday. I thought she was going to get saved and all of a sudden... And it's like, do, do you realize what we're talking about here? We're, we're talking about eternity. So we start to slow down, except we can't. Why? In due season, we'll reap if we faint not, Galatians 6, 9. You know, it's time to renew ourselves to real purpose. Are you listening? You say, well, you mean you want me to work? No, I don't want you to work for me. I want us to do the work for the Lord. But I'm limited. Praise God, do what you can. And that alone can speak volumes. But there are things that everybody can do. We can heed the word of Christ in Matthew 5 when he said, listen, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You're not going to get up before the Lord at the Bema seat and he's going to say, okay, about how many hours a week did you put in on your job? Not going to do that. Not going to do that. What this is all about is people and their eternal destiny. There was purpose. There was planning. Look again at that verse, verse 6. And all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. The reason why it happened that way is because there was a plan. 32 years ago, I sat in that house over there where the Smiths live now. It was four o'clock in the morning on a Thursday morning. And I'm thinking, okay, Raj, you're a pastor now. Oh boy, 
Lord, what do I do? I remember asking that question when I was sitting right here. I mean, I knew, you know, I'd already, you know, learn to preach, check. You know, love souls, check. Pastor a church, half check. And this came to me, and it's in the back. Seeking to win the lost, teaching to change lives, equipping the saints for service, pressing for the prize. Step. That's the plan. That's the plan. How many of you know somebody that if they died right now, they'd go to hell? Raise your hand. Guess what the plan is? We have the message. Lord willing, I'm going to be talking to that lady again this week. I pray she comes to know the Lord. But there's others we have been praying for. You know their names if you've been here on Wednesday night. We need to renew ourselves that. You know, I love seeing the plan work out. Hey, um, got a text from Antonio. He said, I'm almost done with my training. It has been great. This Friday, I'm heading out to my first church. I love it when God's plan comes together. Tim Schmidt is preaching somewhere in the Midwest right now. I love that. Michael, our son, is pastoring in Oregon. I love it when the plan comes together. Justin Hayes, who grew up in this church, he's a missionary in Spain. Praise God for his plan. You can't help but love it when you hear J.R., and what God is doing in her life, praise God for his plan. Scores of believers, listen, scores of believers from the last 65 years are in glory right now because this church embraced God's plan. I love it. The work goes on. It's 65 years. But that doesn't mean that the church retires. We keep going. There was purpose. There was planning. Hey, there was passion. Passion. Look at the very end of that verse. For the people had a mind to work. We've talked about this before recently. I remember, um, yeah, Anybody here, you, you fly Southwest Airlines? Okay, gets interesting there, doesn't it? They used to have this thing, this, they, they did it this way. Not all the chairs faced forward. There were some situations where they faced each other. So you had three chairs, you know, looking back. So you, you're staring at each other. So we were on a, I, I was on a, a flight for the Christian school organization that we were a member of. And there was a guy that was sitting directly across from me. And so we're there, and I thought, okay, he's sitting across from me. I'll talk to him. So I started witnessing to him. And he just, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. You know, I go such and such, you know. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, believe that? Oh, yeah, I, 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 I believe that. And then something else came up about another organization. And all of a sudden, he lit up. 
He couldn't say enough about this. I mean, hey, that is great, you know, and this and that and whatever. He wasn't lit up about God. He wasn't lit up about his salvation, but he was lit up about this organization. What lights your fire? What lights my fire? You see, there's passion. You read Christ. When you get into your Bible and you read Matthew 9, but when he, Christ, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. There are, there are talking heads on the media, in the media right now, that are just doing their dead-level best to lead people astray down a road to hell. Meanwhile, I didn't mean to get out of there. I, it's okay. I'll, I'll stay over here, Wayne. Can, can I? Okay. So anyway, we're just talking about, you know, the sheep, they go everywhere. And they're, they're, they're walking around. And sometimes... They get so lost, and there's an enemy out there, and the enemy is just biding their time. And the shepherd comes and says, this isn't good. Why does he say that? He's got compassion. He's got compassion. He told the disciples, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Titus. The book of Titus, I want you just to see this. I don't want you to just hear me quote it. I want you to see this. Speaking of Christ, Paul, in writing to Titus, says this about Christ and about us. Look at verse 14. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. Look at the next phrase, zealous of good works. Now listen, we can all make speculation about what's coming. There are people that are getting so discouraged, and humanly speaking, I don't blame them. They're getting so discouraged because everything that is going on. I mean, more and more, you're having your own medical uh, facility, you know, contacting you. Are you feeling overstressed? Yeah, too many people are asking me, are you feeling overstressed? But listen, The bottom line is, Satan is wanting us to forget the work. And and, and so here we are. We're getting wrapped up in this and that and the other thing. What we need to remind ourselves is this. Our Lord is seeking to get us to focus and have a passion for the good work, for his work. Now, we're all looking at a nation that is almost like it's on the precipice 
of collapsing. There are good people out there, like Jennifer Ruth pointed out, there's good people out there that are working by God's grace to see good withhold, to see truth stand firm. Praise God for that. But the reason why our nation is seeming on a precipice is because churches are the very same place. And folks, I'm telling you, it behooves us to recognize this fact. This is not a threat. It's nothing like that. It's a reminder. If we are resisting the work of God in our own lives, then you know something? God might just look, you know, I, I, the church will still be there, but I won't be. I mean, the next time I preach out of Joshua, we're going to be looking at, remember the Achan in the camp? It's amazing how an Achan can affect a whole crowd of people. And we can do the same thing here. That's why I've got that list and we're supposed to be praying for each other. You need to. You pray for somebody, you'll get a burden for them. And at the very least, you can't hate people that you pray for. It's the truth. It's the truth. The purposeful work never stops. It never stops. Look at verse 7. Go back, if you would, please, to Nehemiah 4. Look at verse 7. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth. You know, the haters of our God want nothing to get accomplished for God in this day and age, in this place right now. They are battling with no sense. They are battling truth, bringing in the most insane of laws. I mean, what we're voting on here in California, my soul, look at verse 8 and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. And again, the same thing is happening today. Hey, do away with free speech, including, by the way, what's in the churches. It's coming. So what did Nehemiah do? Verse 9, nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. So quickly, quickly, don't quit. Do you hear me? Don't quit. Even when those closest to you in the work become disheartened. Verse 10, and Judah said, the strength of the bearers is decayed and there's much rubbish so that, they, so that we are not able to build the wall. Some people, find they're looking at issues, they're looking at situations and they get discouraged. Don't you quit. Encourage them. Keep going. Secondly, don't quit even when those who hate you and your work become emboldened. 
They're doing that. It's all right. Keep at it. Verse 11, and our adversary said, they shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. There are people right now that are trying to shut you up. Seriously, to shut down the church, at the very least, take churches like ours off of YouTube, off of Facebook. And that, I mean, you know, I praise God for it, how the message can get out. But it's happened to other places. Look at what they've gone through in Canada when it comes to shutting the churches down. Don't quit even when those living around you become short-sighted. Look at verse 12. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, from all places when she shall return unto us, they will be upon you. They didn't see the Lord's work. They just saw the, the people in the world coming along. And man, they're going to stop you or they're going to stop you or they're going to stop you. They didn't see God allowing the work to keep going. I'm not going to be able to finish the message. I had a couple of more points. I'm going to forego that. I want you to take out this, this, if you would, please. I wanted to give this to you. And please, I just you can think of other, you can think of other promises. These are promises to encourage you in the work. If you get discouraged, and you might think of other verses, praise God, put it down. Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, I am with thee. Now, is, does God act like God? Really? You don't have to beg him to do that? Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That is a promise. And God never goes on vacation. Never. Galatians 6, 9, we've cited it already. And be not weary in well-doing. For in due season ye shall reap if ye faint not. Yeah, but Lord, nobody's listening. You keep at it. But Lord, I keep talking to this person of salvation. You keep talking. You keep talking. I remember meeting a guy, his wife witnessed to him for 35 years. 35 years, he finally got saved. And now there's a building at West Coast Baptist College that's named after him. He gave the rest of his life to the Lord's work. He was a joy to know. Number three, 2 Timothy 1.7, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now here's what happens. We go, oh, God didn't give me the spirit of fear, of power, love, sound, mind, but I'm still afraid. You have to stop and recognize this. That's what he gave you. So you can act on that promise. I can just settle back and say, wait a minute. It's, already, it's in me. Lord, thank you. A sound mind is a disciplined mind. Now, you pray, you seek, you rest in him but you'll recognize that's what you've got. 
James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, how many of you lack wisdom at times? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Of course, here's the thing, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with wind and tossed. Whoa. But the thing is, he will give wisdom. He will give wisdom. Discernment to understand how we approach. Lastly, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you and do Time. Does he keep his promise? Answer, yes. Casting all your care upon him, just like, Lord, it's yours. Casting all your care upon him, why? For he careth for you. Does God act like God? Okay, I owe you three minutes. Excuse me, I was talking to Alexa. Sixty-fifth anniversary. Not everything is what I'd like for it to be. Some of what is missing in this church is my fault. But you know something? This week is a great time to seek him, out, seek him out, to get back, like Jennifer Ruth was saying, get back to the basics. If you've struggled with your prayer life, have a good prayer time tomorrow. If you've struggled with your Bible reading, have a good time reading the word tomorrow. If you've struggled with fear, And that is something that keeps us from doing the work of God more than anything else. Give it to God and recognize he keeps his promises. And you know something? We could be in heaven someday rejoicing over decisions, over choices that were made today to go against the flesh and say, you know what? I'm going to build the wall. I'm going to have a mind to work.